Well, many of you are joining me on Sunday nights in a study of the book of Numbers. And a study of a book, the book of Numbers or any of these Old Testament narratives have a lot of similarities. And one of those, as we mentioned last Sunday night, is when the story seems to be going really, really well, you know something bad is about to happen. And that's just kind of the nature of life. We even think that way ourselves sometimes, don't we? Things are really good in life and we're waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? We're thinking something bad must be on the horizon because things are going so well right now. So in thinking about our situation here at Decker Prairie, I think we've experienced a lot of growth. There's been a lot of positives. And in that light, we have to think about the possibility of struggles, of difficulties, of obstacles. But the reality is this is nothing new. We see this in Scripture itself, which is where I want to point our attention this morning to Acts, the sixth chapter, and really this whole early part of the book of Acts, dealing with their growth, the beginning of the church here, and the good things that are happening, but then also some of the struggles that they face. Begin reading with me in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, and then we're going to work our way back from the beginning around chapter 2, just conceptually, getting us back to chapter 6 where we're going to read right now. So chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, in those days... As the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Interesting, the story, which is with, loaded with the potential for explosion, for problem, for difficulty, ends really keeping with the summaries that have already been given in the early part of the book. You'll remember in Acts chapter 2, where Peter gives the sermon, and the, the people come, what do we need to do, they ask, and he tells them they need to repent, and every one of them needs to be baptized, and they'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that day, 3,000 souls are saved. They're added to their number. And at the end, the summary of chapter 2, the very last thing it says there is that every day the Lord added to their number. Really good things are happening. About a chapter later, toward the beginning of of Acts 4, there's another summary given of the events that are taking place. Peter and John heal this uh, lame man in front of the temple, and they use this as an opportunity to preach Jesus and the resurrection. And even more are brought in, and there comes to be about 5,000 men who are a part of this number. So another summary given here of what's happening. And then in chapter 5, at the conclusion uh, of another kind of difficult situation with Ananias and Sapphira, we see even more believers are added. So the church in its beginning lasts about two chapters without problems. Chapter 2, we have 
Many being converted, the story of the man in front of the gate, many come to the Lord, and then they're, they're doing great things. They're bringing contributions. They're taking care of those who have need, maybe those who've stayed in Jerusalem after being there for Pentecost, or just others who have come to be part of the number, who have some kind of physical or financial need. The people are coming together, which is another main concept or phrase within the story, how they're together all the time. But they're coming together, they're giving of what they have to take care of those who are part of their number. In the midst of this, we see the first problem in this church. Ananias and Sapphira in greed come and say they have sold their land for a certain amount, and they want to give it all, but of course, they're liars. And they're greedy, and they want the attention that comes from men like Barnabas and others who have given the value of the properties they've sold. And of course, God shows that he is um, not against punitive miracles right in this very first story of sin within the church, and he strikes them. They die suddenly right before everyone. And then we have this first internal struggle with the brethren in chapter 6. And we are led into that story with this reality that disciples were increasing in number. It's a tricky situation. You've got thousands of people coming together. We've, we've had some growth here. We have a good number of people, but we don't have 5,000 plus. And you can imagine the difficulty that would come for the apostles and the other leaders in this congregation of thousands And now we're getting a a little inside information about how this is working. There's this complaint that comes to them. It's actually the same word used here that is in the Septuagint version of the Old Testament in Numbers 11. So Numbers 11, if you're not familiar, this is where the complaining begins. They leave Sinai in verse 11 of chapter 10 in Numbers. And in chapter 11, the people complain. They murmur. And I bring that up because I want you to see the potential, the danger for major conflict and problems that exist here in Acts chapter 6. This is not just some small thing. This is not a few people at somebody's house saying, oh, I didn't really like this, and this wasn't right, or maybe we should have done this a different way. No, this is more than that. This is murmuring, complaining, people being at odds with each other. And notice the wording. The Hellenistic Jews, they have this complaint against the Hebraic Jews. That's no small thing. The Greek-speaking Jews are complaining about the Hebrew-speaking Jews. Now, I think those of us who are old enough, which is most of us in the room, we, we know human nature and we know how this works. When you have two groups that have some natural divisions, sometimes you can exasperate the problem. It can become bigger than it really is. And the potential for danger and conflict and for this to explode into something huge is massive. These Greek-speaking Jews, which in dominant culture may have been looked down on a little bit, oh, they just speak Greek. They don't speak Hebrew. Right? They're not part of the core Jewish people who speak in the language of our fathers. Hellenization has gone all over the world. These people maybe came back from other places. They are fully Hellenized. Their natural language is Greek. And so as humans tend to do, they, they form together with those who they're alike. And that's just the reality of how things work a lot of times. And so they, they see themselves in these different groups. But there's some interesting things that happen in the story, or maybe things that we don't even read about in the story, that sometimes that's the big message, things that aren't even there. And one of the things I've noticed in the story is how the apostles don't even talk about that. 
they don't even bring up this natural division which the people, it seems, try to bring up. They try to highlight how the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew-speaking Jews, they have this kind of complaint against each other. What happens here with a church that has a growth mindset, with a church that is experiencing good things and knows how to deal with obstacles, is they handle these kind of things the right way. And these apostles, rather than focusing on all the drama and all the difficulty and all these natural divisions that may make problems worse and all of that and trying to solve everybody's mental issues and all those kind of things, rather than trying to get into all that, they say, no, let's just get a solution. Let's just figure this out and take care of it. We don't need to try to bring together the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews and make sure they're all on the same terms and they're best friends and they go to each other. We don't need to try to get in the middle of all that. What we need to do is solve the problem that is at hand. And so rather than getting caught up in all the drama and the difficulty, they focus on the solution. They take something that is a hindrance, a difficulty, something that has been brought to their attention that is a problem, a legitimate problem, and they decide, hey, let's figure this out so it doesn't happen again. But I want to back up for just a second and just highlight this reality within this church that things have been going so well, and yet problems start to emerge. And before we even get into the details of the story itself, I just want us to recognize that that's just a reality. Don't get discouraged by difficulties emerging. That's what happens with humans. When you have people, one thing Dee always told me, when you have people, you always have politics. They just go hand in hand. You cannot get away from it. And you're going to have people who think one thing and people who think another thing, and you're just always going to have some sort of conflict or difficulty or disagreement that's just part of life when you have people together. And what God's people do is they rise above that and they focus on the things that truly matter. And when there are hindrances and when there are obstacles, they deal with those in a way that sees opportunity in all of it. And so rather than being discouraged by problems and saying, I can't believe we're having a problem or we're having this difficulty, we just need to learn to expect them and realize that that's what happens when we're around other human people. Problems arise of all sorts. I mean, we've seen that. People have financial problems. People have health problems. There are personal problems. Sometimes we have disagreements over doctrinal things. There's all kinds of problems that emerge that we have to work through. And as God's people, we're trying to do this in a way that brings us together rather than in a way that tears us apart. And so rather than being surprised by problems, just realize they're going to come and plan to handle them and respond to them in a general way that's going to work out for the best. So we handle problems carefully. We deal with them directly, and we do it humbly. That's what we see happening with the 12 here. They don't say, oh, you know, come back in a month. Let us think about it for a little while. I'm sure the widows will be okay for a little bit, and we'll deal with this maybe in a month or two, and then they forget about it and kind of brush it under the rug, and, and then it takes eight months for the problem. No, this is not how they handle things. They realize that this is important. It's important especially to a certain group of people who are looking at some of their people and seeing them being neglected. And so they carefully look at that situation. They deal with it directly. They bring the people together and they say, we need to find a solution for this. And it's not all about them and what they want and what's best for them and what they think. No, they, they bring in the congregation to deal with this problem and they say, here's what we're going to do. You guys are going to choose some people among you to handle this issue. Now, there's some reasons for that that we will get into here in a little bit, but 
the whole point is they're finding a way to make this work that's actually bringing people together rather than tearing them apart, which I've already noted is a huge potential with the problem that they're facing here. And it notes in the text itself, the proposal pleased the whole company. Now, the reason I emphasize the whole murmuring and complaining thing from Numbers 11 is because that is a huge contrast when we get to the middle part of the story, and everyone's happy. Right? We have people who are murmuring, complaining, they're seeing all the problems here, and then just a few verses later, hey, this is great. We figured it out. Now, that's not always how it's going to work. I understand that. But I think it's pretty neat that in this text with the 12, they find a way to take these people who are divided and to bring them together for a common goal. Now, I don't know that sometimes people note that Stephen or Philip or these others are, are Greek names, and that is likely the case. And I don't know if he's taking it from among the Greek-speaking Jews to make this work out. That could be a legitimate way that they make this happen. It might just be their names. We name people all kinds of things, uh, and so did they. So I'm not sure there's a, a huge clue into this with just all of their names, but that could be a potential thing here that's happening. And so maybe the solution was, let's find some of the Hellenistic Jews, and you guys work to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And maybe it was the Hebraic Jews who were leading this effort from the beginning. And we need to make sure that we bring in some of these others to make sure people aren't neglected. I don't know. We're not given all the details of how all of this worked. I just know everybody's happy. And they pick some people to take care of this, and they solve the issue. Rather than dwelling on the problems and the drama and the obstacles and saying, you know, those Hebraic Jews, that's just the way they are. They don't think about anybody else. I understand why you're upset. You know, they just take care of their own. They don't look around and take care of anybody else. Or I can't believe those Hellenistic Jews. They're just such complainers. They're always finding some problem to bring up. No, they just took care of it. They didn't dwell on the problems. They looked for opportunities and they brought other people in to serve. It's actually pretty amazing that often when we think about deacons in modern churches, we go to a text like Acts 6. We probably very infrequently think about the major problem that existed in this text. What we actually focus on most of the time is they choose these seven men to take care of this task and look how that worked and that was so great. They had this thing that needed to be done and we chose these people who were full of faith in the Holy Spirit and these devoted men took care of the problem. What actually happened is they avoided a massive division among their congregation. And they did that by taking men who are capable who were respected, who had a good reputation and allowing them to serve. They found a place for them to serve. They took this massive obstacle, this problem that existed with the potential to explode this congregation of thousands of people, and they turned it into something that was good. An opportunity to bring people together and for more people to serve. Another thing I see in this text, when I look at a church that is growing, that has this kind of mindset of growth, there's a lot of numbers being thrown out everywhere, but that's, that's not really the focus. I mean, there's 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost, and then you're up to 5,000 men a few verses later, and it's just one verse after another keeps saying they're increasing in number, and the disciples are growing, and all this is taking place. But one thing I see in this text is the focus is not really on the numbers. I mean, the, the whole focal point of this text 
is poor widows being taken care of. In the midst of all of this growth and all the amazing things that are happening from the social perspective here, what's happening is they're not forgetting the little people. Now, they're not little people. That's the point. But in a world where all kinds of things are happening, we think, hey, we've had 5,000 people who were converted since the day of Pentecost, and you're going to talk about this problem. They'll talk about that. Let's focus on all the good things that are happening. That's a number focus. That's an image focus. That's a self-glory focus. The Jerusalem church is doing great things. Look at all the people that are here and all the awesome things that we're doing. Don't bring up all these issues. It's very tempting for churches to get that way. To want to avoid the problems, not talk about the issues, only look at the, the good things that are happening but that is not the equation for success. It's what we see in Acts 6. The apostles haven't lost sight of the people. They understand the importance of them. They listen to them. This complaint comes, they don't brush it aside and say, oh, it's just some small thing. Can't believe these people are complaining again. No, this is a big deal. People are being neglected. They're being overlooked. And what I also see in the text is that the Hellenistic Jews, as I mentioned, have this complaint against another group. But what the text says is that it's, it's something that's being overlooked. It's a mistake. It doesn't seem to be purposeful. I don't think the Hebraic Jews are saying, you know what we should do? Let's just take care of our own widows and let's not worry about those Hellenistic widows. You know, there's no malice involved here. This is just, again, the way things happen. I'm sure you've all, uh, all of us who are of a certain age at least, have been involved in some sort of event or get-together where at some point, oh no, we left this person off the invitation list. It's an oversight. There's, there's no ill will in it. It's just the sort of thing that happens sometimes when there's lots of people and lots of things happening. And it does hurt, doesn't it? You ever been left off the list? And you, f you feel a little bit upset because you weren't remembered. Sometimes you're just not remembered. It's just the way it goes. It's an oversight. And so, again, instead of emphasizing the problem, who's at fault here? Who made this mistake? I can't believe these widows were left off the list. Let's figure out who made this mistake, and we're going to make sure everybody knows. They don't even talk about it. They just figure it out. They find seven men who can come help, make sure it doesn't happen again, and they move on. Good things continue to happen. I think there's an aspect of this that isn't only contained in Acts 6 that I think I need to talk about for just a moment, and that is that this group has a culture that already exists before Acts 6 that allows some of this to take place. And if we were to trace back a little bit into the previous chapters, that we, would, we would see things like in chapter 5 and verse 42, every day they're in the temple, and in various homes they continue teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So that's a big theological point. I mean, they're going everywhere, even people's homes, teaching truth, teaching about Jesus. I mean, this is a very new sort of thing, and they're wanting to bring this everywhere. But that's not the only place this is talked about. Back in chapter 2. They're all together. 
I mean, they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, to prayers. Verse 44 of chapter 2, all the believers were together and held all things in common. They're taking care of each other. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. I'll tell you something. People being together all the time makes a huge difference when problems and obstacles arise. Because what we know about these people is that they loved each other. They cared about each other. They wanted to be together. They wanted to eat meals together with gladness and joy in their heart. This was a part of their life. Every day they're studying together and going to each other's homes. And so when a problem arises, there's an atmosphere that already exists that allows for this to be handled a certain way. And I can tell you from some experience, and probably some others of you can do this as well, and even better than me, that this makes a huge difference. When you're in a congregation of people who are not united, who are not really friends, I mean, maybe some of them are friends here and there, but there's not this cohesion that exists, and then problems arise, bad things happen. But when we're all friends and we all love each other and we think the best of each other and we know that motives are good and there's no malice, when something goes wrong because things go wrong when humans are involved, it's not that we're not hurt or that doesn't have negative consequences, but we know that we love each other and there's not some ulterior motive going on. This exists, I believe, in the early church, at this point at least. With these people who are spending all kinds of time together, they're together in teaching, they're together in life, they're eating meals together. It's just a part of who they are. They're focusing on, they're not caught up in the numbers. We go to a church of 300 people or a church of 500 people or whatever the number is. Who cares? What actually matters is on Sunday and Wednesday, I want to be with you. That's what matters. And I don't like it when I'm not. When I go somewhere else and I'm not able to be here, something is lost. Now, there's good things that can happen when I go somewhere else and I get to see other people and meet other Christians, and I love that, as I know you do as well. But there's something missing on that Sunday or on that Wednesday when I'm not here with my brothers and sisters, with my family. And you feel that, don't you? Because we love each other and we want to be spending time together. I don't have to get up here and Tony and the elders, we don't have to get up here and say, you need to be here on Sunday morning. Stop missing church. Don't forget about your attendance. Whatever, I don't need to do that. Because you want to be here. And that makes things so much better when conflict arises. Now, it doesn't completely solve the problem. Because what we see happening here with the 12 is they have to come in and they have to deal with this carefully and directly and humbly. And there's still an, an, a- an atmosphere that has to be brought to this culture that's going to handle this the right way. But it sure makes it so much better when all of these people love each other from the beginning. Now, there are personality differences. There are background differences, just like you've got the Greek-speaking and the, he- the Hebrew-speaking Jews. And there's going to be some tension there. But in the end, and at the end, they're all pleased. And they're all working together. Sadly, I've seen at various times that is not the case with resolution. Resolution. It's a pretend resolution where people act like things are better and that people are working together, but actually nothing has really been solved. 
Now, I haven't even been on this planet that long. I'm only 40 years old. I still consider that young. But I've been at churches where that's the culture. That's the atmosphere. And it's lousy. What we have here is a situation where that's not happening. Because the people matter. Even the widows. You know, the widows aren't bringing all kinds of money. They don't have big families. Not in this story. They're, they're needing to be cared for. right? They're distributing to the widows every day. Because these widows need help. So it's not about the image, it's not about the glory of the church, it's about the people who are part of it. And the 12 see that, the whole congregation sees that, they want to care for these women, and they're upset that some of them are being neglected. What a great thing to be upset about. Isn't it amazing when you have good people who notice things that aren't happening that should be happening? That's what's going on here. Because these people care. The focus is on the people because the 12, they don't go into a room by themselves and say, okay, let's just take care of this. We've got to deal with all these murmuring, complaining people. Let's just solve this problem. I think that's the problem with Moses and Aaron. When they speak rashly and they don't hold up the Lord as holy, they kind of speak down at this rabble. Oh, you rabble, you're always rebelling against the Lord. I can't believe we've got to deal with you again. And because of that, Moses doesn't enter the promised land. It's the attitude. No, it says here that the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples. And they talk to them. They open a dialogue. They begin conversing. They're transparent about the problem that's taking place. Some of these people are being neglected. We need to solve this. Here's an idea of how we can do this. You guys can pick some from among you, and we'll take care of this problem. And the whole company is pleased. Everyone is pleased by the solution that is brought, and they work through this together. The temptation is, as I said earlier, to blame someone or to ignore the problem. Sometimes these are temptations we face when a conflict arises. And we can point to our past success sometimes as justification. Things are good. We don't really need to deal with this. We're a big church. We've done big things. All is well. So it's not really us, it's really this guy who messed up, and it's his fault. So let's just move past that, we'll throw it on him, and then we can move on to other things in life. Or we just ignore the problem. It's tempting to minimize the issue, try to sweep it under the rug, stop talking about it, because it affects our image, it makes us look bad. I love here, the apostles don't do any of that. They said, no, there's a problem. We need to deal with it. Let's figure it out. Let's bring people in. This is an opportunity for people to serve, and we can go to the work and get this done. And they do it in a way that unifies everyone. The widows are pleased. The Hellenistic Jews are pleased. The Hebraic Jews are pleased. And we go from this situation that had a large possibility of creating massive problems to a situation where everyone comes together. And we never even know who was the blame. Oh. Was it the Hebraic Jews? Were they the ones who messed up? I don't know. We're never told. We just know the situation is solved. But I think my favorite part of all of this is how they do all of this without losing focus on what is most important in their work and in their ministry. So as they bring the people together for this solution, 
and they're now going to involve them, right? They're, it's about the people, and they're involving the people. They're, they're also not afraid to bring up what really matters. And so we can't, and I, it comes across really funny to us in our language, like we can't serve tables, right? He's not saying this is a bad thing or it's a lesser thing, but they have a mission. They have a goal that they're supposed to be accomplishing. And, and I like the wording, too, because of the way they're focusing this, and some of what they do at the end fits with this as well. They summoned the whole company and said, it would not be right. It would not be right. It would not be right for the apostles who have this mission to go into the world and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to exactly what they say, to be serving tables, to be taking care of the widows. It's not because that's not important. That's just not their mission. That's not their goal. That's not what they're supposed to be doing. Now, our situation is a little different today. We don't have apostles. Each church has elders, shepherds, and their job is very specific. And they get involved in all kinds of things, just like these apostles. People bring complaints and things they have an issue with, and the elders have to deal with this to some degree, and they they should because they're shepherding the flock. But at the same time, their goal is to be spiritual shepherds, to lead people spiritually and to, to keep them focused on Jesus. They don't have time, because of the magnitude of their duty, to be handling all kinds of other things that are physical in nature, for example. It would not be right. And I'm glad that our shepherds have deacons in place and use those deacons and give them those jobs and don't try to micromanage every single detail of everything that's been done. If you've ever been somewhere where that happens, you know how miserable that is. They allow these men to do their work, which is what's happening here in Acts 6. They set these men up. The apostles are not behind their shoulder looking at every detail. You forgot this, widow. She's gluten-free or whatever the thing is. All right. They don't need to do that. They trust these men to do their job. And the congregation entrusted these men with this responsibility. And so now the elders have set this up. The apostles here set this up. And our elders, when they do this with deacons, have set this up where they can now focus on the things they really should be focusing on. So sometimes maybe we look at this and we think, well, you know, the elders just didn't want to have to serve. We know that's not the case. Maybe we feel that way a little bit. They don't want to be working the tables and all this. But no, maybe that's because we minimize the importance of prayer and ministry of the word. This is what the apostles say they're going to do. And this is what elders are doing in churches now, devoting themselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word, to the spiritual upbuilding of the flock. That is extremely important within congregations. And where shepherds do that, congregations thrive. Where they get caught up in the drama and the nonsense is where congregations die. Sometimes a very slow, painful death. So see the good of what's happening here in Acts 6. These apostles are not trying to get out of work. That's not the goal. They have really, really important work that they're doing. And as good as it is to take care of widows and take care of other issues in the church, that is not what their focus needed to be, and they knew that. They knew what their priority was. They knew what number one was for them. And so they say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take these seven men, and that's their number one. That's their priority now, not mine. My priority can stay on the prayer and the ministry of the word, right? Those 12, they can go out, they can do the things that they need to be doing now because they've set these other seven men up to do this work. So they're handling this a way that is careful, it's direct, it's humble. They're keeping people in the right places and they're focusing on priorities and they're focusing on what is best 
for the whole group, what is best at focusing people on Jesus. And they have a group of people who are devoted, and so they can do this. You know, it's not always the shepherd's fault when things go awry and bad things start happening in congregations. Leadership's big, but when you've got a group of people who aren't devoted, it's pretty tough. But that's not these people. From the very beginning, it says they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer. We're told multiple times about the devotion of these people. And because they're devoted, now the apostles can give them these duties. They can expect them to be fulfilled. They know that things aren't going to be missed. And they can continue on with what's most important in their life. And they can help others see the priorities they should be having in their own lives. And they knew it needed to be done well. If this wasn't handled well, if it was a debacle and it was a mess, you know who would be involved? The twelve. Rather than going back to devotion to prayer and ministry of the word, yet again, they would be involved in this issue with the widows. For example, if they allowed the congregation to pick men who were not full of faith and not full of the Holy Spirit, who could not accomplish this task, guess who's going to be talked to about that? The twelve. So then they're going to be distracted again. So this is why I'm saying earlier, handling this carefully, directly, going to the the problem here and saying we need to deal with this in the right way so it doesn't come back to us again. And that allows them again to keep their priorities where they need to be. And then I think part of this is also setting expectations. I, I don't mean this to sound negative or mean at all. It's just a reality. It's expectations. Please don't text or call our elders if there's a light out in the, in the uh, auditorium or a door is jammed or there's a toilet running or whatever. Don't, don't talk to them about those kind of things. Not because they can't handle them, but we have people who do that stuff. And that, can, that information can be found out. They're doing really important things. They're going to people's homes, and they're talking to them about their spiritual life. They're making sure people are grounded. They're thinking about the direction of what's going on in the pulpit, for example, or in our Bible classes. Uh, just recently, we were talking about a theme for next year. I mean, these are the kinds of things that our shepherds are doing, and, and they don't it's important. I understand that these things need to happen. There's a problem in the parking lot or in the exterior of the building or, or whatever. Don't bring it to them. And I know maybe it seems minor or little or whatever, but just think about when you have 300 people and all the little minor things are brought to you. They didn't ask me to say any of this, by the way. Okay? <laughs> just so you know. I just know how this works. Okay? I'm, I've been preaching for almost 20 years, and I've worked with elderships that entire time, fortunately. And I know how how it works. And and I get it to some degree, because when we think there's a problem, we know who the elders are. And so we think, I'm going to go talk to the elders about this. Uh, And maybe if you want to say, who's the person I need to talk to about this? Okay, I think the elders want you to feel like you can come to them and talk to them. So I'm not trying to say you can't do that. But just just think about the magnitude of what their responsibility is. Just like the 12 here, they need to stay focused on extremely important spiritual things. 
And when we allow our shepherds to do that, and we engage our deacons, and when we are all devoted, doing the things that we know we need to be doing as God's people in this place, great things happen. And so this is not a criticism. I'm not even thinking of any specific ideas. This is just some general information. The mindset of a church that's growing, that's what we're talking about. And then when we do have real issues like the Greek-speaking Jews having something against the Hebrew-speaking Jews, that's when we do go to these spiritual leaders. And we allow them with wisdom to guide us through problems and difficulties. This idea of murmuring, this is not, this is not the definition or anything like that. It's just a gloss uh, within a, a lexical-type framework of a book I have. But it, it talks about this term... First of all, it's onomatopoeia. It's this word that's like, oh, you know, it's just this groaning, okay? But it has this idea of talking behind the scenes, right? And we all do this to some degree. We got a problem. We talk to somebody about it. And so there's an element of that that's not really gossiping or groaning or whatever. But when we're working behind the scenes and causing problems, that's what's going on in, in numbers, right? The, the people are moaning and groaning together. We're going we're gonna to find a leader and go back to Egypt and all this kind of stuff. Uh, Man, it's just so negative. And good things just don't come from that. If we're seeking wisdom and we want to know the best way to handle something, it's great. That's, that's not the same thing. But just know the potential of what comes from this kind of murmuring. Learn from the story of Israel of how bad that can be and where it can end up. And just know that any congregation is going to face problems. But when we handle them in a way like these apostles do here, the outcome, even from problems, can still be good. Here's the conclusion. Like so many other summaries in the book of Acts, they appoint these men, send them out to do this task. So through this obstacle, so the word of God spread. Notice the primary thing there. The word of God is spreading. The apostles are still doing their work. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. No one expected that, I'm pretty sure. We got all this problem, and it's handled a certain way, and man, we keep growing, and even priests have come in to join us. See how good things happen that we don't even anticipate? When we deal with things in a way that is careful and direct and humble, in a way that's transparent, that it shows focus on people instead of numbers, that turns obstacles into opportunities, that keeps Jesus as the focus of the things that we're doing, shepherding Jesus' flock, preaching Jesus' resurrection, serving as if we're serving Jesus himself. Everyone can be involved in this priority of keeping Jesus at the top. And good things happen when that's how we handle even the obstacles that come along. The early church faced them. They faced them with Ananias and Sapphira. They faced them with this complaint against these two groups of Jews. But I'm convinced that the culture they had in place, along with the way they handled the problem, allowed that growth to not diminish. It continued on, despite the inevitable conflict and difficulty that would come along the way. And so I don't want us to be shocked at Decker Prairie, when a conflict arises, when there's some kind of difficulty, I mean, that's just what happens. 
not dwelling on the drama, not trying to figure out who's to blame. Now, I understand in some circumstances, especially if they're very bad, we do need to know who's to blame. And especially if it involves law or things like that, I get it. So don't mishear me. I'm not trying to say we're going to hide that kind of thing. But the goal is solution that brings us together. Where we want to be in each other's homes. And we want to praise God together with one voice. As Paul talks about in Romans 15. We haven't talked a lot this morning about how to be saved. There's a lot of saving going on in this text that we've been looking at. Acts 2 through 6, thousands of people are being saved. They're being saved because the message of Jesus is being held as priority. When they're going to each other's homes and when they're in the temple and when they're in the marketplace, everyone's talking about Jesus. And so the number is increasing day by day. And that's what we want to be doing, too, in our lives, talking about Jesus. And if you're here this morning as someone who knows you need Jesus in your life, you don't have him right now, but you know you need the blood of Jesus to cleanse you from your sins, that's what this is all about. It's not about the problem with the Hebrew Jews and the Greek Jews. That's just an obstacle that gets in the way. What really matters is that in your sin, just like all of us before you who have been baptized into Christ, in your sin you have an answer. There's a solution. Jesus Christ can wash away your sins. And we want to help you do that this morning. You can come confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the Son of God. You can submit to baptism. When you come out of the water, you're a new person, ready to work together with God's people in this place or wherever you are, wherever you live, the people of God in that place, working together to proclaim the will of God that his Son is Savior. Can we help you this morning? Why don't you come as we stand and we sing together?